your heart in the paint. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Heaven on the Hardwood, who invited me out for the high school all-star game that they had over the past weekend. I went out, the video's out on IG right now. You can go on Heaven on the Hardwood and other uh, sites on Instagram and see the highlights from that. It was definitely, definitely a good basketball game. Definitely good highlights that came out of that. And it actually leads into what I want to talk about today. And my guest that's here today, Janine Betts. Now, this basketball trophy was won by uh, our curator, uh, the man that runs Coin Media. And Janine is here because Janine is a champion. And what you're about to hear today is something that I definitely, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, we need to talk about that. Right. Because everybody knows that my platform is formerly incarcerated. And when I come across a story like this, I thought that this was something that everybody might want to hear because it's definitely inspiring. And first off, Janine, first off, how you doing? I'm all right. Thank you for having <laughs> now, me. I'm going to tell you all about Janine real quick before she gets started. I came home during the pandemic and I went to the motel room in Glendale and my mother showed up and Janine was with her. So one of the first persons I seen when I came home was Janine. Right. And it's crazy because now we're here two and a half years later and we on hard in the paint. And I can only imagine what's going through your mind right now. <laughs> OK, so introduce yourself. You can talk right in that camera. You can, you know, tell people who you are. And then I'm going to tell them why you're here. <laughs> OK. Hi, everyone. My name is Janine Betts. Um, I am currently a doctoral student and an employee as a registered marriage and family therapist. Um, I work primarily with adults. I do some work with children, but I work with mental illness. So how far are you away from a PhD? So I'm actually getting a PsyD. Okay. PhD is a doctorate degree in philosophy, and I'm not working philosophy. I'm working specifically in psychology. Okay. So it's called a PsyD. The work's the same. It's just as difficult. But um, I should have a completion uh, in September 2025. So um, I took a step back so that I could do some more work. Um, I wanted to add some other uh, components to my degree. So um, when did this journey start? So the journey of the of the the doctorate degree or the journey of education? The journey of the doctorate degree. So we'll the, get to education in a minute. Okay. So the the journey of the doctorate degree began in 2021, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, the program is generally three years, but I needed some additional time to to factor some other things in that I thought were important components. Okay, so now when we're talking about psychology, mm -hmm. right, not specifically with mental illness, just psychology in and of itself, mm -hmm. what's the general principle that we're looking at where, let's say, um, I don't know, uh, the difference between males and females in thought process when we're looking at it from a psychological perspective? So when you want to look that way, you look more um, of a neurological base because that is that's physical. Mm -hmm. So the physical components of um, uh, of hormones and all those kinds of things come into play. Where I work is not so much about that. It's about the psyche as as itself. Do I have to look at the overall the overarching uh, things about males and females? Yes, but not so much. Um, that is not my focus. My focus is on, as human beings, how our minds work, right. how we think and how we perceive things. The other one is more like on a cultural, on a cultural nurturing or, or yes. nurture versus nurturing and the cultural influences that go into what we would call just on the question I asked about males and females versus what you're talking about is to look at studying the mind and how the mind functions in that area. So psychology is a very interesting science. 
Correct. Um, because in, in that, there are some areas we're not sure about, and we have to be honest, and we're not. So I'm going to be. Right. And when you look at the external factors uh, that we face as African-American or people of color, it becomes different than what I see happening in Western civilization with people that are non, uh, non-people of color. So for me, that is where psychology is, and that is why it's taking me more time. I want to be so specific about what we look at. The APA has made a statement in 2021 with a formal apology indicating that none of the research that had been done and none of the diagnostic uh, criteria was created around African-American or people of color, indigenous or otherwise. Mm -hmm. So based on that, the system in which I'm learning for me is very difficult to manufacture and move through because I'm looking at people that look like me, but the work and the things that are outlined for me to use are things that were not designed for me. Right. So based on that, it's difficult to say, is it the woman thing, a man thing? So when I look at culturally how things operate and how we navigate and how we live, I think that that's more essential to the heart of looking at psychology for me. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely... I'm glad you laid that out like that, because sometimes we can have a conversation like this and it sounds real dense, especially to people who don't who may not be trained in in certain specifics Mm -hmm. or certain disciplines. When we start talking about the difference between psyche versus psychology versus cultural influence on a psychological perspective or a cultural influence on a society via Mm -hmm. a psychological umbrella that's put over. So to say, like people say agendas. That's the short way to say it. You know, there's an agenda here. There's an agenda there. And a lot of times it's true. But if you can't articulate it, then you sound like somebody who's been chasing ghosts around. And I'm glad the way that you articulated the way you did. So now we can go back to the journey for education. Okay. Because education led to where we're at now. Yes. Okay. let's go there. How did you get started? What was the first seed? What was it that sparked you to start educating yourself? So because I um, had life choices that were very different than most people from high school graduation, I called it retirement. I retired out of high school. Um, I had a 39-year romance with addiction, and um, I was 49 years old when I began college. Hmm. Um, so during that 39-year uh, uh, romance and you know that back and forth, that mm-hmm. marriage that you had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the downfalls that took place because of that addiction? Oh, relationships. I've blown up relationships, finances, um, the ability to say retire now. I'm 60 years old and I'm, I'm just working. So um, I, <laughs> I had two husbands, a child, and a life um, full of confusion and um, challenge that I brought upon myself based on chasing this thing and, and being involved in this, this dark place uh, of hiding and fear of success. Mm-hmm. And so um, I can't speak to other people's examples or, or, or their, the way that they got where they got. But for me, the fear of succeeding, um, coming out of high school, I had expectations and bars set for me to exceed being a debutante, being, you know, the first in, you know, the first of the children to graduate and being, you know, involved in all kinds of extracurricular activities and, and, and social things. I, there were expectations set on me that I wasn't able to live up to because of fears, um, that I didn't ex- 
express and didn't talk about, mm -hmm. which leads me to where I am now. Um, you know, I was scared of everything. You know, I was scared of everything. I had, I would stand up and fight for everybody and anything, but when it came to making a, one step and putting one foot in front of the other to be successful, I had a definite fear and I was paralyzed. And I found that the best way for me to handle and manage that was to, to anesthetize it. And that was by the use of drugs. Basically and so that's what I did. I medicated for 39 years. I started getting high at 10 years old. Um, at 18, I, I what you want to call the hard drugs, that's where I went. And I stayed there for 29 years. So at 49, when enough had just become enough, when I found a bottom, and, and I have to be honest, Homelessness wasn't a bottom. Leaving my daughter and having no relationship with her was not enough. Losing two husbands was not enough. Sleeping underneath an 18-wheeler was not enough. But when I crossed the moral line of taking something that didn't belong to me, of my mother's, I made a conscious decision to make some changes in my life. So now, before we go further, right, because for me, when I listen to this, uh, because I've heard this, from my mother. My mother knows parts of this, but not all of this. Right. And when I'm listening to it, the side degree comes in for me when I saw it. I saw the connection between the trauma that happened at a young age mm -hmm. and not being able to protect the young person mm -hmm. being demonstrated in the person at 49 who started pursuing the doctorate saying I couldn't protect this child then, but now I'm going to do something to make sure I can protect other children. That fight you was just talking about. What is it about trauma that affects the psyche like that, according to what you've studied, that makes people close in and then later on, once they have an opportunity to open up and talk about these things? So when I discuss trauma, a lot of the trauma that I experienced was vicarious. Mm -hmm. It wasn't things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. It were things that happened to my mother that she imparted in me to create fear. It was things that happened to my grandmother that she imparted in me that caused fear. They were not experiences that I had. So what I talk about is, it is intergenerational traumas that have affected me as a grown woman from things that I never even experienced. For example, my mother was petrified of cats. I grew up afraid of cats. I had never had a negative experience with a cat, but because this was the information that was transformed and given to me in my, in my living environment, that's what was my experience. Mm -hmm. um, I never personally, well, I did once, um, fear of the police. I didn't have personal experience with them, but I watched them do things that caused me to have trauma, mm -hmm. that, that created these traumas in me from listening to stories about Officers in the Foothill Division in the San Fernando Valley, you know, Martin, well, I won't, I'll be nice and not call their names, but I could. You know, they were tyrants in our neighborhoods. They were tyrants. They, they caused fear. And those traumas kept me bound mm -hmm. from moving forward, you know, going into certain parts of the valley. You know, we knew that you don't go there after the sun goes down. You get your ass out of there. Before you go further, we're talking about the San Fernando Valley here in Southern California in the same area where uh, in 1992, uh, Rodney King was beaten. She's talking about that specific area right now. So the understanding of how, and the reason I brought it up, because we're talking about what she called it, intergenerational trauma, something that she never experienced, but somebody else experienced and gave that experience to her for her to watch out for. And in that, 
I'm bringing it up because that's what we call uh, the initial trauma. Mm-hmm. And then there's the secondary trauma, which is you are, you are traumatized and then you traumatize. Con- continue. You continue. It perpetuates. And, and post-traumatic slave syndrome is real. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, it's a process in which we learn to be fearful and we learn about the pains of life through the experiences of those that had it happen to them or know that it happened to someone. And we pass those stories along. Um, just like healing, those, the same process comes from learning those ways. So why we sit here about, with a PsyD is so that we can work on those things that have affected us in our communities and in specifically with women, which is my choice to work, to create a habilitation location where people can come and get what they need and move forward in life and let go of the shackles of the things that we know are not their experiences. You know what I love about what you just said? There was one word you used in there that jumped straight up off the, out of your mouth and it hit me in the head, and that's habilitation. Absolutely. Not rehabilitation. Absolutely. Because first you have to be habilitated Come on. before Come on. you can go through the process again. And in a lot of cases, and it goes back to the side D and the understanding of the cultural influences that we have here as African-Americans here in this country, because a lot of our understanding, a lot of our education, and a lot of our wisdom is passed on by word of mouth. Exactly. Through the GRIOT, if you want to call it, the G-R-I-O-T, right, who passed that information on. And our unique experiences passed on from generation to generation. In your case, it was fear, but I said it was as a warning to watch out for because this is what I've been dealing with, and you're going to deal with it too because it hasn't changed. Exactly. There's a psychological effect that takes place on that. Excellent. What is the running cord from slavery to today as we sit here? What's the one central thing that takes place that that side degree uh, looks at? Trauma. Pain, trauma, suffering. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about trauma and we talk about, you know, I hear people throw trauma around. Trauma is relative. And people don't get that. You know, some of the things that we are embedded with in our communities, it's not a traumatic experience anymore. Mm-hmm. When it first happened, okay. But I, I step over this body every day. It no longer traumatizes me when I go outside. But the embedded fears that are given to us almost in our DNA, almost, you know, and... I can't because I've not done the physical research. I have to be careful about making explicit statements. But my belief. Okay, there we go. My belief. That's your personal yeah, belief. My belief is that this stuff is embedded in the very fiber of our beings. Um, it has been something that we have used. Now, I will say that some of this trauma and some of these things that have been given to us have made us a- available to make change in our lives when we could get free. Mm-hmm. It, it, everybody can't get free at the same time. But when we get free, if we help one more get free and we help more, one more get free is why the Habilitation Center for African-American Women is going to come into existence. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to have people come and get habilitated to get the help they need for the things that traumatized them or made them afraid or created life experiences that were adverse to their success and have caused their families to crumble. We cannot continue not to work together 
to change this. I'm not going to the government. I'm not going to the to ask for grants. I'm going to the black church. I'm going to the black community. I'm going to the links. I'm going to sororities because if we are going to heal, we have to stop looking for something outside of us to heal us. I definitely agree with that. And so this is the thing that is so important to have this thing come to existence where you can get the education that you need. And we talk about education, you know, like sending people to school. Everybody doesn't learn the same. Mm-hmm. So in rehabilitating people, we, we meet them where they are. We help them see that they're able. We get them literate. Once you're literate and you get some knowledge, for me, example, when I got that first degree, I was like, oh, I want some more of that. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I kept going, I want, I want some more of that. Now I want some so that I can share it with someone else so that they can get free. We call that paper chasing. Okay. Definitely, we, used, we definitely used to call that pa- chase your paper, get it in books, get this knowledge, and then get your practical application. Absolutely. Take your theories and put them into practice and see if they work. Absolutely. Right? Which all goes into a side degree, right? To make sure. One of the things I studied and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this, because while I was in prison, I studied Hockenberry and Hockenberry 101. Okay. Right? Straight out of psychology, right? And it took me all into understanding uh, anima and animus. Took me an understanding XX and XY chromosome and understanding the neurological, which you started out with, the neurological exactly. differences, and then understanding how our uh, brain mm-hmm. is structured, mm-hmm. right, to, uh, to release certain hormones at certain time for certain reasons, certain depending on dopamine. our physical structure. Right. But then I started to understand that the physiology that we had, the physiology was different than the physicality, which led me to try to understand where does psychology play in this? And when your name came up and the subject came up and I started hearing stuff, I said, I got to get Janine on here because the perspective that you just brought out, specifically with black women. Yeah. Question. Either direct or vicariously. Mm -hmm. How has trauma, in your opinion, affected black women in general in the United States? Ooh. Ah. Um, It has carried such a negative... It was, has been such a negative force in our lives that we have stunted our growth in many areas. Um, we have been perceived as angry black women. We have been perceived as aggressive. We have been perceived in all of these negative ways. And it's simply a response to those external things that have caused us vicarious trauma or, phys- or intentional trauma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to say that, you know, I'm angry because I'm, I'm vocal. Um, I'm not. I'm responding to the pain and the traumas of the things that have been brought up from the conversation or the topic that's being thrown at me. Um, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle to look at uh, how misinterpreted ways cause perpetuated trauma. Mm-hmm. Because you're telling me now you're gonna we have a small child that is needs exercise, but they give them this ADHD or something. So they're being teased now. They're being bullied now. So they, there's more trauma being lapped on top of that. So then they begin to respond to that. And this brings up something for me to ask you because I personally believe, and I'm going to say it straight up, I believe this is a failure. Come on. Of Western education, because Western education focuses on segregative thinking. 
it focuses on taking things and categorizing them and boxing them and labeling them rather than viewing things for what they are in their holistic aspect. So you're right. Uh, but when we want to talk, let's open up the door a little bit. Okay. Let's open up the door. That's why we're here talking. That's why this show called Hard So when we look at education, we have to look at where we're educated. Mm-hmm. Because if you go into Malibu and Brentwood and Santa Monica, their setup for learning looks different than it does in Watts and Pacoima and San Fernando and South Central. Right. They are encouraged to use cognitive means to just to make and to create answers. They're not sat at a table where repetitive learning and structure from a book from 1958 is on their desk. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the segregation of learning, we have to talk about the equality of learning. Well, understand what I was saying, though, because that's 100 percent true what you spoke on. When I'm speaking on segregated thinking, I'm thinking on left hemispherical thinking versus right holistic thinking. In this sense, we're looking at a floor right here. Holistically, my right hemisphere says floor. But the left hemisphere, my brain wants to measure this floor, measure the length, the distance, the depth and all this other stuff, which is what Western society mainly focuses on. So. Again, I hear you, but I'm challenging that thinking because that's only in the experience that where we have been educated. When you step over in Malibu, they use the kind of thinking you're talking about. I'm saying Okay. Now, for those who don't know what that means, a primarily white institution. So, in this place... I was able to look at education in one of our very first classes in my bachelor's program, where we looked at the way that they educate our kids and in what areas. Based on the information and the research, I was able to see this light, right brain, left brain, holistic way that you're talking. But over here, it's encouraged. But over here, it's not taught. So when you talk about Western, I have to say, I'm not going to say that. So I'm going to say experience. it's the experience and the okay. segregation in, in, the, educational in the educational system right. that causes this. Because it's taught in some places hmm. and it's used in some places and not in others. So, and, and we've definitely talked about that. So let me ask this question then. What part does incarceration play into this in your personal life and in the pursuit of what you're doing? So in my personal life, I... Uh, I wound up incarcerated for um, for the sales of narcotics and guns. And you're a gangster. No, that's that's why I brought her on here because she's a gangster. You heard what she said. She went to jail for it. Is all of that was coming? You know I'm going to bring a gangster on, <laughs> a reformed gangster. Excuse me. <laughs> so um, and in that journey of of being incarcerated, because I I you know if you if you back up and you look at the fears that I had, they're real. However, I was raised in a middle-class household, two-parent family, church going da 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 all the, all the necessary things for success were given to me. Mm-hmm. I made the choice because it was exciting to do the things that I did. It, it excited me, and when I was using, I needed to continue to do that. And the, the way that I got my money, you know, I had a job, but I also had this hustle. So. Anyway, I I had the hustle. So, you know, I wound up going to penitentiary 
because how much time did they give you? <laughs> I only I only got um, a three year sentence, but that was because I had Homeland Security clearance because I used to work in a nuclear plant. Gangster. So <laughs> I'm not with you. I'm not with you. So, you know, see, you got to know, right, if I bring somebody on like this and we talking like this, this is my partner, this is this is one of my mother's closest friends. Remember, I was gone for 26 years and my mother and Janine and her mother went to church together on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, and my mother watched Janine and her mother, you know, grow together into the people that we're talking about, the 49 year old that moved to my mother watched all of that. So before I came home, I knew who Janine was. Me and Janine had smoking on the phone. Many, matter of fact, I got caught with a cell phone one time. <laughs> Show you how close we are. I got caught with a cell phone in prison, right? And was caught dead to rights, right? And I called him a few days later, like, what you doing? I bought me another phone. What happened to the other phone you had? So I didn't get, you know, they couldn't do nothing with what you say? I was slicking and slime. What do you say? Slicking and slime. Slicking and slime. So when I'm calling her gangster, it's facetious. It's between me and her, but she's a gangster. Don't, don't get it twisted. Not at all. Not at all. So not at look, all. You can look in that camera and tell them that right there. Tell you. <laughs> don't believe the hype. Um, just happened to be, you know, but one of but, the things but, I'll say is. What it did do, it made you formally incarcerated. Yeah, well, that's right. It, made, it, gave, me, it gave me a number and I, I um. You know, based on having that number, you guys, it is it is a challenge. Every hurdle that I have come against. And right now I'm waiting for what's called a psychological assistance number. And based on the fact that I have been a con that I am a con an ex-con, there are processes that I must go through. When I got registered with the Board of Behavioral Science, I had to have a ton of letters and you know, documentation and all of these things to show that I had changed my life. And, you know, you pay for it on one end and then you pay continually. It, it doesn't, doesn't stop. stop. So, so, you know, that, that's, that's just where that goes. goes. Uh, or I was so rudely interrupted. <laughs> so what being incarcerated has done for me has created this place that I want to have a habilitation center, a habilitation center for black women. Now, what that looks like is I want to have a housing location for uh, the, on the initial. I don't want more than eight women, mm -hmm. but I want to have them where they come in. And it's a five year process. Why? Well, because first we have to get literate. Mm -hmm. Then we get a marketable skill. Mm -hmm. We get the services that we need to kick our drug habits or to deal with our self-esteem or to deal with our mental illness or to deal with our lack of because of systemically what has been going on in our lives. Your children can't come. This is a process where the mother or the woman is given the opportunity to grasp herself to have, as I said, a marketable skill because I can take you out of jail and get you a job or out of prison and get you a job, making a decent salary. But what happens when you lose that job because you lose your temper or, you're in, or anything happens, the company folds? You go back to what you know how to do, mm -hmm. selling drugs, selling yourself, hustling, doing what it takes. But when you get a marketable skill, if you don't want to go to four-year university, fine, but get a marketable skill where you can take care of your family, you can go to work and show your children how this life works 
in this family system, what we do here, whole and holistically, you know. Um, and the reason five years is because it gives you the opportunity to work on you and to get you in a place that you can then teach those that are part of your life. Mm -hmm. And so that the cycle breaks because we've got to break the cycle internally. Where do we get our, ed our education when we're little? Our moms. Right, right there. What do we get from them? The, subs the substance of who and what we are. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to do with women. Mm -hmm. And that educational pursuit started how many years ago? Well, 11. 11. Yeah. And it's gotten you to 2025. It's a couple of years from now yeah. with a side degree. Do you ever look at yourself? Do you look in the mirror, right? And, and do you see what other people see when they use the word role model, hero, heroine, uh, leader? You know, do you see that person? So, you know, I have to be really honest. No, I don't. Um, what I see is vessel. Mm -hmm. What I see is willing um, because I have to be real, real honest, you guys. It has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the God that I serve. And my faith and belief has brought me where I sit. My desire to serve people has brought me where I sit. And that desire I know came from above. Now, call it how you want, who you want. I, I'm not you know, telling people how to do that. It's just my journey. Um, but I don't see hero. I, I see a mom that, you know, has so many broken parts to relationship. I, I still see the effects of the things that I left, the, the, the wreckage of my past. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that, you know, I'm doing all that I can each day to be the best person I can be and to be the vessel that can be used to help somebody. And I'm willing always to be there for anyone and anyone else that I can, but I don't see hero. I'm just determined, you know, during that, during this journey though, um, you know, a lot of times we don't see people's, uh, inner battles. Yeah. You know, um, one of the examples I like to use is when I was a younger man, I called women out of their name, right. not understanding that I probably would have not in a, in a sense, the physical blow could be, you know, healed up quick, but the invisible blow of the word Come on. lasts, Come on. you know, and Come when on. you talk about the wreckage that you left behind, and that goes into a conversation of about accountability and responsibility, yes. right? How do you show people or how do you get them in a habilitated way to see that accountability and responsibility is the path towards where they're going, that they have to go through that journey to get to where they're getting to? Well, you, you can only transmit what you have. So when I begin to work with people, I give them the essence of what I have available. And I don't always verbally tell my story, but I live my story in front of them as a physical example. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things we haven't discussed is my health. That's where we're going into. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, as we walk through change and transformation, you know, it's an everyday process that you stand in front of people with integrity. Mm -hmm. And integrity is such a large key to changing the minds of people that are around you. Because when they see you doing the right thing for the right reasons, not looking to gain, not looking to impress, not looking to take 
or to win. Like one of the sayings that I remember hearing that just disturbs me is you see a sucker bump his head that I hate that with a passion because it perpetuates negative Mm -hmm. and I don't ever want to do that. So I might see you falling. You might give me a $20 bill. I've given you a 10 and you hand me back a 20. For me, that's beating somebody. Mm-hmm. And I don't do that anymore. Right. So that's the kind of like I was in a situation this weekend. I gave the lady a twenty dollar bill. She gave me back a fifty dollar bill. I think it was an accident. But regardless, hey, no, 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 I didn't give you that. I gave you this. And there were people that were with me. You shouldn't have said anything, you know, that kind of stuff. So how I do what you said is I do the right thing for the right reasons, no matter what. Either how one does that plan when it comes to your health? <laughs> because you've been going through battles that people don't see. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. You know, you've been going through battles every step along the way, yeah. right? So that's yeah. why I use word heroine, hero, and role model. So what yeah. have you been battling while you've been battling? So <laughs> I, um, I'm, I have Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. and um, I've got several other issues, but the Crohn's disease is one of the worst that I, that I fight with. Um, my first... My first semester of college, I went to take my final and I was doubled over and my professor said, you need to leave. And I said, no, I got to finish my, he's like, no, I said, no, I need to finish. And I got to the hospital and they rushed me into emergency surgery. So that's happened a couple of times. Um, I've had to take a, a break here in my doctoral program. This has happened consistently uh, over the course of my educational journey, there are some months that I stay 17, 18, 21 days in the hospital. And then I don't give up on school. I keep going. I make the, uh, the necessary uh, requirements. You know, I, I, I do what I need to do to get what I need so that I don't have to quit. There have been two or three times where I had to take a leave so that my, my incisions could heal or that my body could heal. But I wake up and I haven't waken up in 23 years without pain. I don't know what it's like to not take medication. I don't know what it's like to walk without the assistance of a walker for long distances. Um, I have come to the understanding that the damage that I did to my body over these years is now showing up. Mm-hmm. Do I think that I'm paying a penance for it? No, it's just, the, the wreckage of my past. It is what it and is. And it is what it is. Yeah. And so what do I do about that? I stay grateful. I do, I, I do what I need to do to limit overexertion. Um, you know, I cut out some of the activities that I would rather do. You know, my goal right now is to cha-cha two songs in a row. <laughs> I'm just saying I just want to tear floor up. I might get one of them dances in just on the strength, you know what I'm saying? Just just because you said twice. You want to do just two of them. Do I might want I might want to get one of them dances in, you know. And I don't think Sharon have a problem with that. I don't think I, 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 nah, I think my baby wouldn't mind me getting I'm that. I'm going to get her permission you know, first. You know what I'm saying? I think she I, I don't think she would pro- have a problem with that. And as we close out cuz we're getting close to the end of this interview now and it was definitely definitely eye opening. I definitely appreciate you coming in and talking because um, I'm not trying to be like everybody else. I get it. I'm not trying to, you know, have a bunch of people on my show twerking and all that stuff. You know, I want to have some really, really quality interviews with quality people who've done something. And what you've done to this point, right, is definitely hard in the paint. Definitely hard in the paint to 
to be formerly incarcerated and understand that, to battle Crohn's disease, right? And and take time off and never take the eye off the goal where you're trying to get to and still looking to help and be selfless during all that struggle is definitely hard in the pain. That's why I got this trophy out here because Mm -hmm. it represents the struggle and the, the one foot in front of the other and what I call the chair, the character, humility, uh, accountability, integrity, and responsibility that it takes to move like what you're talking about. Man. You know, I want you to look into that camera right there with a closing statement, right? For anybody that's listening that you want, you want to speak to them from the heart. Mm-hmm. Just know that no matter what, losing, I lost both parents in five months. I have no relationship with my child. I believe that I will be restored to what it is that my faith says and my my Heavenly Father says. Anything that you have desire to do, whether it's from a spiritual spot or an educational spot, you can do it. There are no limits. The only limit is you. If you don't know how, ask somebody. Somebody is doing what you want to do. Find them. They're out there. I'm here. That's it. You heard her. And with that, Aaron Showtime Taylor with Janine Betts. (laughs) And you have been hard in the paint. I appreciate you coming on with that one.